Good morning. My name is Josh Hebman. I am the executive pastor here at Grace Community Church, and thank you for joining us this morning. We are glad to see you all. It is getting to be that time, right, when you either have to show up early or come to a different service if you don't want to sit right next to your neighbor. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about what it means to be good neighbors, um, and part of being a good neighbor for sure, for certain is sharing with one another in our joys and in our griefs. And there are a number of griefs in the world today, some of which you probably know about if you've been watching the news, uh, places that are war-torn throughout our world, in the, in the Ukraine and Russia for sure, but in other places as well where people are abused and abandoned, um, forsaken by their own governments, and, um, and left for dead and mistreated. So we want to pray for them this morning. We also want to pray for our family and our community this morning whose son um, took his own life this week, a student at Liberty High School, I want to pray for their encouragement and for their hope. So I'm going to ask you all to pray uh, with your family members, with your friends that you're with. Let's just spend a few minutes this morning in prayer. And if you're alone, please don't be afraid to reach out to a neighbor next to you and pray with them, but certainly you can pray alone as well. But let's just spend a few minutes praying for those who are hurting and mourning with those who mourn this morning. Holy God, we, we give you this family who is hurting and in need of you, and we pray, Lord, for your comfort, for your Holy Spirit to provide help and hope where there is darkness and despair. God, we pray for those the world over who are without homes, who are without food, um, who are in great physical need, Lord, in danger of their lives. In many places, Lord, your church is hidden for fear of persecution. We pray for all those who are in danger for the sake of the gospel, that you would care for them and that you would show us, Lord, how to care for them from afar. Help us to love one another well, Lord Jesus. You say that we would be known um, by our love for one another, and I pray that that would be true here today, that we would love one another well, and we would know especially how to care for those who are hurting. Pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you have been at Grace in recent weeks, you know that we are in the book of Philippians, and we are going to continue in the book of Philippians today in a series called Identity Recovering Our True Selves. And today, maybe more than uh, most of these sermons, we are really going to talk about identity because we're going to talk about contention. We're going to talk about what happens when we disagree with one another. And you might have noticed that we only read four verses and think, how on earth is this guy going to come up with 40 minutes on four verses? But let me tell you, if you want a pastor to speak a long time, give them like three or four verses, right? If you want them to speak a very short time, give them like a whole book because they can't even figure out what to do with that, right? So they gave me three or four verses and now you've got 40 minutes. It's just the way it works. So we're going to talk about identity because we're talking about contention. Paul speaks to the Philippians and he says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved and verse 2 here, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Here are two people, two believers, two women in the church in Philippi who don't agree. And we don't know what they don't agree about. The scripture doesn't tell us what the problem is, just that there is a problem. And therefore, we need to talk about that because we likewise have problems in our homes, in our marriages, with our children, with our friends at church, with our 
with the people at church who should be our friends. We have contention in the body. This continues to this day. And so we need to address it just like Paul addressed it with the Philippians. So he wants us to be, Paul wants these people to be co-laborers, people who work together side by side in the gospel. They have been in the past. And he says, I want you to be again in the future. This is my goal for you, that you would work together with the same purpose, with the same calling, but you're fighting with each other. So we need to address that. Some things that Paul uh, understands are, are these, that we are the body of Christ, and that when we work with the mind of Christ, we will glorify God. He knows that, and he wants that for the Philippians. And he wants that for us. Even though he doesn't know us by name, he knows that the church will persist if it persists in Christ. And so he is thinking of not just the church in Philippi, but all of those who will receive this letter. And we are some who have received this letter. And so he wants us also to glorify God. He wants us to be a unified body of believers, sharing the same mind of Christ. That's his goal. And so a couple of things that are context for the Philippians that you might miss because you're not a Philippian, because you're not reading this in the first century. Um, this word here at the beginning of Philippians 4.1, therefore my brothers, some of your translations say, therefore my brethren. Some of them say, therefore brothers and sisters. Some of them say, therefore siblings. And that's really the best understanding, right? Paul is writing to his family. He's writing to his brothers and his sisters, and he's writing in the tone of a family letter. Therefore, my siblings. So even though the ESV translates it's brothers, uh, a lot of you will have footnotes that say this could be brothers or sisters. The Greek word here means family. And so that's context for us because this is a family conversation. We are the body of Christ together. Also, um, Paul says, stand firm. And what is he saying when he says stand firm? He says stand firm thus. It's kind of uh, a good reminder here. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for my joy and crown stand firm thus in the Lord. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about all of the different places in the letter of Philippians where he's reminded them that they have to share the mind of Christ if they want to have any uh, success in the gospel. They have to share the same mind that Christ Jesus had, which was not considering equality with Godhood, something to be grasped, taking the nature of a servant, coming to seek and save the lost. That's who Jesus was. That's how he thought. And so Paul says we need to have that same mind. He says it in, um, in Philippians 3.17. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Look at me. If, if I have the mind of Christ, then do the same thing. And what is the mind of Christ? To do the will of the Father, to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, and Paul says, do that also. And he says it also in 127, and he says it all throughout chapter 2, have the mind of Christ, have the mind of Christ. So he says, stand firm thus in the Lord. Or when he says, Euodia and Syntyche agree in the Lord, and he says we're co-laborers in the gospel, he's talking about having the same mind of Christ. So remember that. And then finally, there is this uh, not quite clear wording here in verse 3. It says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, Sometimes uh, it's translated loyal yoke fellow or loyal companion. Who's you? Paul all of a sudden switches tenses and starts talking to a specific person. Who is he talking to? Honestly, we don't know. It's not quite clear from the text who he's talking to. But a couple of good options are these. Number one, he could be saying uh, true companion or loyal companion, and he could be meaning a name like 
our name, hope, or our name, faith, right, is a person's name. You might know a person named faith or a person named hope. Those women's names also have another meaning, right? Hope is a a meaning separate from a person. Likewise, faith. This Greek word that's translated true companion might also be a personal name. That's a possibility. It's also possible that he's talking to Epaphroditus. Earlier in the book of Philippians, there is this servant uh, from, Philippian, uh, from Philippi who brings things, he brings resources to Paul, money and food, and we don't know what else, but physical help to Paul, right? Epaphroditus, and Paul is sending him back with this letter. Epaphroditus is the one who carries the letter from Paul to the Philippians. That could be the you that he's talking to. What we need to know, though, is that Paul is saying, I want all of you as a church and also you as individuals to be concerned about this matter that you should not have contention among you. Because we do. We all have contention. This is a problem for Christians. We have contention. We're supposed to have the body of Christ working with the mind of Christ to glorify God, but we don't. As co-laborers in the gospel, we are actually at war with one another, often. If you think about getting ready for church on a Sunday morning, there are a number of you who could give me stories right now if I were to call you out by name of things that were said in your house that you don't want me to repeat from the stage. Right? Contention between husbands and wives and parents and children. Contention not for any good reason, but just because you're selfish, because you're jealous, because you're thinking of yourself first. Right? And that's just this morning. So we're supposed to be co-laborers in the gospel. We're supposed to be co-laborers in the gospel. So we have to understand then, how does the body of Christ work? How does it work to have the mind of Christ together? How do we glorify God? Um, What are our needs? Who are we? How is that going to happen? And here's what Paul is telling us throughout all of his writings, and therefore here's what he is saying to the Philippians. So not all of this is contained in the book of Philippians, but all of this is contained in the scripture, and that's where we're going today. So he says we are men and women. He says we're co-laborers. He says we're image bearers. That's who we are. That's what we're going to talk about being today. This is the identity that I said that we're going to talk about having today. Co-laborers, men and women, image bearers. This is where our value comes from. We need to remember this. Also, we're going to talk about our gifts and our calling. God has given us different gifts. He has made some of us to be men who worship him, some women all kinds of different people with all kinds of different gifts. Some musical, some not. Hey. It's okay. And every single one of us, just like this young man, is necessary for the body of Christ, right? All of our different gifts, doesn't matter what they are. So we need to talk about that this morning because even though they may not appear to be valuable or useful, they are. Paul's also going to tell us how to work together, the whole body standing firm with one mind. And this is the key. We need the mind of Christ If it's up to us, when we're faced with any sort of difficulty, if it's up to our mind, we will choose ourselves. We'll choose all kinds of things other than each other. And it will always lead to despair and destruction. But if we choose the mind of Christ, if we submit to him, not just as our Savior, but as our Lord, then we will have everything we need in him. 
So this is where we're going this morning. Um, Let's pray, and we'll talk about what that looks like practically. God, I praise you for today. I praise you, Lord, that we have hope amidst all kinds of struggle. Lord, some that is thrust upon us, some struggle that we, we don't have any choice over. Some tragedies, Lord, that just enter our lives and we don't even know what to do with them. And sometimes it's our choosing. Sometimes the, the struggle is something that we have made. Lord, help us to see how what we have in you is the answer for every trial and every struggle. Help us to see how you have given us every good and perfect gift. <clears throat> Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Who are we? Well, in Paul's day, people were very clearly ordered in one way. In Paul's day, if you were a Roman citizen and you were a man, then you were at the top of society and you had value. And that was just a known, there was a known factor of everyday life. If you were a man and you were a Roman citizen, you were the top. If you were a woman, you had less value. You were second class. Maybe if you were a Roman woman, you might have had some rights and privileges, but generally speaking, right, you couldn't inherit property. You couldn't be a witness. You couldn't do lots of things as a woman. In Paul's day, there were some people who were completely valueless, worthless. Christians, you may know this, Christians developed a reputation early on in Rome because they would take children who had literally been thrown in the trash, right? Not figuratively, but people who did not want their children in Paul's day would take them to trash heaps, often burning trash heaps, and throw their unwanted children in those fires. And Christians took those children and raised them as their own. And Christians developed a name for themselves because of this compassion. And so in Paul's day, how, how you answer this question of who I am depended entirely on whether or not you were a man and a Roman citizen. If you were, you had identity, you had value. If you were not, you didn't. And we have swung a long way uh, in a different direction from Paul's day, right? Today, if you ask somebody, who are you? What is your identity today? You get answers like, well, there's no difference. You can be whoever you want to be. You can create whatever identity you want to create. But you all know from experience that that's not exactly true. When people say things like tolerate everything, they actually have exceptions in mind. When they say you can be whoever you want to be, they actually mean not in all circumstances, just sometimes, right? When it's popular socially, you can be whatever you want to be. If it's not popular socially, then you can't. And so while it's true that this may be better than what Paul's day had, in so much as there's more than just one type of person who has value, It's also very confusing. And the world is in despair today because people don't know who to be. When you can be everything, but only sometimes, that's hard. And if you talk to anybody today who's trying to grapple with this, you see the depths of despair that this take on identity brings. So the church is supposed to have the answer, right? The church is supposed to have the answer. And if you go to church, you're supposed to hear things like, well, we're all equal in God's eyes right? But it depends on which church you go to. Some churches will tell you that you're only equal in God's eyes if you come from a certain country, or if your skin is a certain color, or if you act a certain way. So we can't depend on just what churches say because churches aren't always reliable. We instead need to talk about what the scripture says, because this is what God has given us as his word. So what does the scripture say? The scripture says this, 
It says that we all have value. Every single man, woman, and child in the world has value because they bear God's image. Because he made them to bear his image. And that's where our value comes from. That's why you have value in this room today, no matter how valueless you might feel. Some of you are single and you live alone and you feel surrounded by people. And some of you are married or in a family and you're surrounded by people and you feel completely alone. And in both cases, right, in any case, your value doesn't come from who you're surrounded by, but because you're made by the God of the universe with his image. That's why you have value. And Paul says in scripture, right, we have this clearly that we are all created in God's image and that's why we have value. And he says more than that, more than that, if you are saved, you also inherit his kingdom. In uh, Paul's day, right, I said men were first, Roman men specifically, right? Only men could inherit in Paul's day. But we're going to see here in a minute in the scripture, all of us are called sons because all of us can inherit the kingdom of God. If we have confessed our sins and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have not only salvation, but we have the entire kingdom of God. So we are all inheritors. doesn't matter how worthless you feel, you inherit the entire kingdom of God if you are in Christ Jesus. And not only that, but he wants to use the differences that are inherent to you. Some of you can't do some of the things that others of you can do. Some of you want to be, right, very skilled in certain professions. You want to be doctors, you want to be dentists, you want to be lawyers, you want to be things that require far more years of school, right? But some of you don't want to be those things. Some of you want to do whatever job you can do right now with whatever skills you have right now. And that's fine because God wants all of us to glorify him together as one body. So while it's true that we all inherit, regardless of where we come from and what kind of person we are, he still wants to use all of our different gifts to glorify him. So that identity of being created in God's image, that is what gives us value. But also God chooses to use the differences among us to give him glory. So where does it say this in the scripture? It says that we're image bearers right away in Genesis. In the very first chapter of the Bible, it says, so God created man, that means mankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created mankind, humanity. Male and female, he created them. In the body of Christ, women are not second-class citizens. Are there different roles in Scripture? Yes. Are we having that conversation today? No. Are men and women both important? Absolutely. Do men in Christian circles treat women poorly? Absolutely. They should be treated like sisters in Christ, as co-heirs of the kingdom. This is who God makes us to be, men and women glorifying God. We can do this perfectly in Christ Jesus. So he says, know this, know that you are valuable because you bear God's image. Know also that you are inheritors. Paul says this in Galatians, right? All of us sons, that means all of us able to inherit the kingdom of God. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, and it doesn't matter anymore if you're a Jew or a Greek or slave or free or male or female. In Paul's day, slaves, in our day, if there were slaves here, right, could not inherit property. Women could not inherit property. He says, no, that doesn't matter. You can inherit the kingdom of God because your value is from God. You were made in his image. That's where your value comes from. That's why you can inherit because you've been found in Christ. If you've been found in him, you can inherit. And more than that, I want you all 
to use all of those gifts to glorify me. You may be more familiar with the first Corinthians passage about the body. And we're going to read that in a minute, but right away here in Romans, just a few verses, right? Just as each of us has one body with many members and not all members have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many are one body and each member belongs to one another. We're talking about contention today. We're talking about why do we have contention with each other? And one of the main reasons why we have contention with one another is because we forget all of these things as believers. We forget where our value comes from. We forget that we are co-heirs in Christ of the whole kingdom. And we forget that those differences that rub on us when we get into, into life and everyday living with our spouses and our friends and our family, those differences are there for a purpose. God does not want us all to be the same. He made us to be different because he's going to bring glory to himself through all the different parts of the body working together. So we have to remember this. When we have contention, remember the truth because this is the truth. It is not true that you can be whatever you want to be. It's not even true that you were all created equal. The Declaration of Independence says, right, the the law is based on this idea that we were all created equal. Well, we're all equally created to bear God's image. That's true, but we're not equal. There's differences among us, and that's a good thing. We should want there to be differences among us because God made us that way to glorify him. So this is who we are. And here's the passage that you may be more familiar with. First, first Corinthians chapter 12. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. All were made to drink of one spirit. We all have one source of power, one source of life, right? The Holy Spirit. Skipping to verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. He knows that no single member is a whole body. And so he says... The many parts, they're going to be one body in me with me as the head, me as the mind. That's the way it's supposed to work. If there's contention among you, if you guys disagree, if you find yourself at war with one another, it's probably because you're thinking of yourself as the whole body. It's probably because you as the hand say, I'm going to lead the whole show. And it doesn't work that way. God says, all of you need to be together. All of you working with me as the head and me as your mind. So the whole body of Christ image bearers from every age, sex, nation, tribe, tongue. We have some represented here in this church, but we're not a very diverse church, right? Most of us look pretty pale, right? Most of us are pretty staid. Like you don't really rile us much. We don't show a whole lot of emotion. It'd be kind of a sign of weakness here in the Midwest. We don't want to do that, right? So we're kind of a lopsided body. We're all kind of one big arm. You guys have seen those uh, arm wrestler guys, right? With a giant arm on one side. That's it. It looks like that's their whole body. That's kind of like us sometimes, right? And we need to remember that every age, sex, nation, tribe, and tongue is represented in the kingdom. When the Bible describes the end, right? The very end when death is defeated and the new heavens and the new earth are created, every tribe and nation and tongue is represented. That is the whole body of Christ. We can't forget that. We can't think that we're it just because there's a lot of uniformity in this place. Remember that you are equally created to bear God's image. He doesn't want you to all be the same. He wants you to all bear his image, but differently. 
He wants you to all be inheritors of the kingdom. And think about that when you get into an argument with your friend or brother or sister or roommate, your spouse, whoever it is. You are co-heirs in Christ. What are you arguing about? You have everlasting life together with Jesus. Are you really arguing about who left the toilet seat up? Are you really having that fight again about where your clothing landed? Well, yeah, because men are stupid. They don't know how to find the hamper. We need to love one another because this is what we have in each other. Not opportunities for contention, but opportunities to live as the body of Christ. So think about how your gifts can complement one another. Think about how your gifts can build into one another. This is what God has designed you for. Every part needs to understand its purpose and calling. The whole body of Christ serving together with the single mind of Christ. What does that mean? What am I talking about? I'm talking about this, that we are equally called. We are interconnected, even though we don't all have equal callings. Some of us are called to be uh, pastors and teachers. Some of us are called to be servants. Paul outlines in other places in scripture, all kinds of different gifts, and they're all supposed to work together. All of these gifts work together to glorify God when we have one single mind, one single focus, one single direction, which is Jesus. So we have to work through disagreements and contention. Let's talk one more time about the disagreement that Paul describes here. He says in verse 2, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. We don't know what their disagreement is, right? We know that some people have had huge disagreements over very little things. Maybe you have had large disagreements over very little things with people that you love, with people who are your fellow Uh, image bearers with people who are your co-heirs in Christ, you've had huge blow-ups over very small things. It could be that. It could be a big thing. We don't know. But we do know that those two women, Euodia and Syntyche, and Paul, and Clement, and others, have been co-laborers in the gospel before. They have worked together before. And so we have to work through this contention. We cannot let this end our relationships with one another. It's so tempting in this world when we have contention to just go somewhere else. You see people treat relationships this way. You see people treat their relationship to the church this way. I just didn't like the coffee they served there, so I went somewhere else. Right? I don't really like the coffee we serve here. It's not sacrilege. Nothing against our coffee team. It's my preference. Does that mean that I should leave because I don't like a thing? Think about how we treat relationships that way. We have to be able to work through these things. How do we work through these things? The whole body of Christ standing firm with the single mind of Christ doing God's will as the Son does the Father's will, relying on the same Holy Spirit. We're all image bearers, all inheritors, all interconnected. In Ephesians, here's how Paul describes this. Here's how he says this works. He says, speaking the truth in love. If we're speaking the truth We're reminding ourselves about what's true from Scripture, that we're all image bearers, that we're all interconnected, that Christ is our head, that he's our king. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is what it's supposed to look like. We're supposed to encourage one another in our differences, 
knowing that each of us bears God's image, that each of us shares this same inheritance. That's how we're supposed to work together. Not choosing our own position over and above somebody else's. Not looking at the way we do it and saying that must be the right way because that's the way I prefer it. But rather, making Christ the head. We have to remember that he's the head. He is the reason that we're doing what we're doing. I'm going to read to you this passage from Colossians and one more because this is a great reminder of who he is and who we are not. Here's what Colossians says about Jesus. Jesus Christ, that's the he in 115. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, by Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. That's a pretty amazing description of Jesus. Can any of us stand anywhere close to that? How many of you have left the house without an important article of clothing on? How many of you have left the house without your phone or your keys and gotten out to the car and gone, now how do I start this thing? Right? We are so, so far below this, and yet we so quickly put ourselves in this place. We try to make ourselves the king of the universe, and that's Jesus' spot. He is the head. He is the head. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on, on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot save each other. And Jesus reconciles all things to himself. So he needs to be the head. Because when we are the head, we mess it up. He needs to be our mind. He has to have the authority. This is also from Colossians chapter 2. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. What are the hollow and deceptive philosophies of this world? What are the human traditions? They're, they're ideas, phrases like you can be whatever you want to be. You can't. There are limitations but they are there for a reason not to limit you, but to glorify God. He doesn't want you to try and do everything. He wants you to glorify him, and he's created you individually, all of you, with different gifts that glorify him differently. And you shouldn't feel bad about that. Right? The world says you should feel bad if you can't do the thing you exactly want to do. I'm always talking to my kids. Right? My daughter, uh, yesterday, she wanted to strap roller skate wheels to the bottom of a sled and roll down our driveway right? Which is, it sounds like a lot of fun, right? She was very excited about this idea. Here's the thing. Roller skate wheels are not designed to attach to the bottom of sleds. And even if she could, she couldn't steer it, right? And there is an end to our driveway and it is a garage. But she wanted to do it. She just wanted to. And that was her whole motivation. And it's funny when it's a small child, right? But we are the same way. I should be able to do whatever I want to. Why? Because I want to. And it's not the truth. So don't be taken captive by lies. But you have the head. You have Christ. And he is our king. And he can rule over us if we allow him. 
So how do we work together? The whole body of Christ, every part working according to its purpose and calling, equally created, bearing God's image, equally gifted, all inheriting the same kingdom, equally called, all interconnected as one body. That's how we work together. The whole body of Christ, standing firm with a single mind of Christ. Again, remember, Paul says earlier in Philippians, the mind of Christ is this, that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took on the nature of a servant. That's how we interact with one another, serving one another, loving one another, giving ourselves up for one another. That's why we follow this Jesus, because he says, this is good, and he's, he's right, it is. It's so much better than what we would choose for ourselves. That's how we glorify God. We need reliance on and agreement in Christ. So why are we having this conversation about contention? Because it happens all the time. Because we're contentious with one another. Why are we contentious with one another? We know these things to be true. Why are we contentious? Why do we argue? Why do we fight? We're going to see what James says about this because James is not Paul. And I want you to know that this is not just Paul saying these things. James says this, who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist. There will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Why do we have contention? Why do we fight with the people that we're supposed to love the most? It's because we're selfish, because we're jealous, because we want the gifts that were not given to us. Sometimes we don't even want the gifts that weren't given to us. A couple of months ago, uh, we knew that Brooks was going to be taking a sabbatical on staff. And so we all decided uh, as a staff to start dividing up the things that Brooks does as lead pastor so that those duties would be covered when he was gone. And obviously, one of the things that he does on a regular basis is preach, right? And so I, along with other of the pastors, were looking at the Sundays that we would have to fill, and we were trying to figure out who would preach which Sundays. I decided in my jealousy... I decided in my earthly, unspiritual, demonic heart, right, that I was probably a better public speaker than some of the other pastors on staff. And therefore, that I should have more preaching slots than they did. That was my choice in my heart. And I had to go to one of the other pastors, and I had to say to him, I've been jealous. I have created contention between us. You didn't even know it, but I was doing it because I was judging you to not be as good of a speaker as I am. That's going to destroy our church if we do that. And he was gracious to me and he accepted my apology and forgave me, but that's why we have contention, right? Because we are selfish and jealous of each other, of the gifts that we've been given. We don't look at each other as image bearers and co-inheritors of the kingdom. We look at each other as rivals. We're not rivals. We're brothers and sisters who all receive the same kingdom, who all glorify the same God. And we can have the same mind of Christ. If every person here, every man and every woman from every nation, tribe, and tongue work together 
We have the body working the way it's supposed to work. But we need to stand firm with the single mind of Christ. We need to submit to him as Lord, not just as Savior. It's great that Jesus saved us, but he also wants to be our king. He wants to be our Lord. We have to submit to him. We're willing to accept him as Savior sometimes and not as Lord, but that's not what he's asking for. He says, I'll give you salvation for free, but let me be your Lord because I know how to do it better than you. I made you. This is how we will work together to glorify God. With his mind, all of us using our gifts together, men, women, so much better than everybody can be who they want to be. Instead, it's everybody can be who God designed them to be and using all of their gifts to glorify him. This is a much better way than we would choose for ourselves. Now, it would be great if there were an example in this, of this in Scripture, right? It would be great if we could turn to, say, I don't know, Romans chapter 16, verses 1 through 16, and see what this looks like. Hey, let's try that. Let's try to turn to Romans chapter 16, verses 1 through 16, see what we find there. In Romans chapter 16, there is an example from Paul of what it looks like when the body is doing this, when they're working together, glorifying him with the same mind of Christ. Okay? And I'm not going to read this whole section. I'm just going to read some of it. But this is what it looks like when the church does what it's called to do. The church in Rome is not one big building. You guys probably all know this intuitively, but in Paul's day, there was not one single church building in Rome. St. Peter's Basilica, the, big, uh, the Vatican City, right? That wasn't built yet. That didn't exist yet. There were just lots of little house churches. And that's who the church in Rome is. And the letter that Paul writes to the Romans, it's an important one. Right? It is an important letter because it contains key ideas about Christian doctrine, about how we understand Jesus and each other. And you know who Paul gives this letter to? He gives it to a woman named Phoebe. Chapter 16, verse 1. Probably a single woman, probably a wealthy woman. We don't know exactly, but we know that she's supporting Paul and other missionaries. It says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancrie, that you may welcome her in the Lord, in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. She has given me money so that I can do the work of the gospel. This woman, right? In Paul's day, women had no value. And Paul gave her the book of Romans to carry to the church in Rome. She is a sister in the body of Christ who has significant value because she's made in God's image and because she has gifts from the Lord. And so that's what it looks like here. Greet Prisca or Priscilla and Aquila, verse 3, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Priscilla and Aquila made tents, and Paul worked with them, and together they made tents and supported their ministry by selling tents that they made. Right? A married couple who worked physically, labored alongside of Paul, this is also what it looks like when the body works together. Sometimes it's single people. Sometimes it's married people. All of them working together to glorify God. And he goes on here and he lists all kinds of different people, Jews and Greeks, men and women, um, young and old, all kinds of different people. And if you read through this list of greetings, you start to get a picture of what Paul is talking about when he says, you can all serve together without contention. This is what it looks like. And it's not just here, right? There are lots of places in scripture where we can see this. But look at this, understand this. When he sends this letter to the Roman church, he says, you guys are loving each other well and show this love even more because this is where we glorify God. This is how we do it, with the mind of Christ working together. Pray with me.
Holy God, we are prone to contention. We want to choose jealousy and we want to choose strife just because we want to, just because we like the outcome for ourselves better. And you want us to be co-laborers. You want us to work together. You want us to glorify you. You made us to bear your image and to inherit your kingdom. I pray, Lord, that we would not trade the trash that we would choose for ourselves for the kingdom of heaven. Help us to choose what you have given us, Lord. Help us to rely on one another in the way that you would have us rely on one another and love each other the way you would have us love one another. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.